0: Welcome everyone to the Streakers Podcast. We are the ones that got away. I am Mason McGillier. That is Patrick preverty Today is no- November 3rd. This is Friday, a little bit different kind of uh day for us. November 3rd is a huge day in um I think our lives. I'm sure. Please tell me you played Fortnite at one point in your life.
1: Yes, I definitely played Fortnite at one point okay. in my life.
0: Okay, sure good.
1: Are very excited today's finally here.
0: Today is finally here. I know today, later tonight, I'm getting on. I'm hopping on. I'm playing OG Fortnite. I'm super excited. But that's not what we're talking about. We got NFL. We got MLB. We got NBA. And we also have college football that we're going to kind of run through really quick. Apologies to everyone. We have been kind of busy with life and uh, we haven't been able to get on the podcast here in a couple weeks. A little over a week, but you know, life happens, and that and that all is okay. But that just gives us more to talk about. Um, uh, but we're going to talk about it in a really nice time crunch. We're going to uh, run through it real quick. But uh, Patrick, we already started talking. You're doing good. We talked about Fortnite. What what other big stuff do you have going on?
1: Well, I just beat the plague, Mason. So I'm very happy to still be alive. That's been the main reason. Now we have a condensed show. And we have a ton to cover. Can you believe? Like, the NBA just absolutely tipped off. The World Series has ended since the last time we talked. The college the first college football rankings have come out. And we had a Thursday night football game last night, and apparently, I guess Will Levis is now the uh, next best thing for the Titans. I mean, that he looks like uh, they said it on the broadcast on Amazon Prime's. Um, they were like. Oh, this is this is the guy. Like now, for the rest of the year, they have their quarterback. And I agree. I, I don't think you can start Ryan Tannehill again with a straight face after last night.
0: Well, since you kind of got us started, let's let's hop on that. Let me pull up these stats here. I actually did not watch any of the game. Again, life kind of just throws <laughs> curveballs at you. But looking at these stats from Will Levis last night, two hundred sixty-two yards, just one interception, no touchdown passes for him. And then he had that interception there at the end of the game that kind of ended it for him. But, I mean, he looks really good. He's allowing Derrick Henry to run the ball. Derrick Henry had 17 carries, 75 yards, one touchdown. Really, really good stuff there. And he's, he's passing the ball around. It's not just one guy that he's throwing it to. So that is something that I really like. And as a Tennessee Titans fan, if I was, I would be extremely thrilled with his play especially against this Pittsburgh Steelers defense that has been outstanding all season.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned the interception. Um he was there were a couple there were a couple dropped interceptions sure, but Um, he was really just trusting his arm, trying to make a play. He looks like he, the game's not too quick for him. I mean, sure. Like he's going to trust his arm and sometimes as an indicator that the game is really fast and he's just going to sling it and just try his best. But for the most part, Will Levis didn't look like, um, overwhelmed out there and you can see the arm talent. You can see he might have had maybe past or behind Anthony Richardson, the strongest arm in the, in this last draft. And, you know, he had he had a ton of plays almost reminiscent of like Matt Stafford, where he's like falling back and he's slinging it to like um, the opposite sideline and um the the ball's not really uh, coming out like a duck or anything. It's coming out like a tight spiral. It, he looks really good. Um, I think for the most part, as far as the Steelers are concerned, though, um, the offense looked better despite not scoring a ton of points. I think it's really disappointing. The uh, super long streak that Matt Canada has had as offensive coordinator without getting over 400 yards of total offense. That was, again, apparent. But 166 rushing yards for the Steelers was a really good sign. They kept with it. I mean, 30 pass, 30 rush. That was really good. Deontay Johnson was able to finally get a touchdown, uh, I believe they said, for the first time since uh, Ben Roethlisberger was the quarterback. 121 that's crazy for such a good player like him um Kenny Pickett missed some throws um last night that was concerning because if you're Kenny Pickett obviously you don't know if the ceiling is there so you can't miss those easy throws but for the most part the offense looked looked better it looked like they knew what they were doing it wasn't exactly a play calling issue they just didn't you know light up the scoreboard maybe that's thursday night maybe that's you know shout out to the titans but uh, for the most part, like, the offense actually did not look too bad either for the Steelers.
0: Yeah, I mean, they got into the field goal range. Chris Boswell had two field goals for them. So it just was one of those games where they were able to manage what they had and they were able to score more points than the other team, obviously. And that's, what you, that's all that matters in the NFL. As long as you score more points, that's what matters. But I want to go back to the Titans real quick. I'm really happy for Will Levis, of course. Uh, He has had a fantastic start. But I don't know if you saw the video. After his first game uh, last week, when he was in the tunnel and he shook uh, Mike Vrabel's hand, it looked like there was some disconnect there. Uh, I don't know if Vrabel is just not a fan of Will Levis, isn't a Will Levis guy. That's what I've been seeing on the internet. That is a bad look for the Titans as a whole, but it's not, a, it doesn't matter. Will Levis, I mean, he's going out there and playing well and his team is losing. So I think that's more going to end up hurting the coach and Mike Vrabel rather than Will Levis. I think ownership is going to see like, yeah, Will Levis has been playing really, really well. So maybe Vrabel's the issue. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. If there's yeah, some turmoil I, going on there.
1: I think leading up to this week, you know, you're playing a Thursday night game and I think everybody knew that Will Levis was going to get the start and him not getting all the first team reps kind of is a interesting look. I don't want to say completely bad look because it's not like this is unheard of. I've seen a coach with a rookie guy just not fully commit like over the last handful of years just because, you know, they see him every single day. They know exactly the skill set. So like I've seen it before, but um, as far as like, like what could happen in the future for Vrabel? I just think he's so locked in as the Titans guy. I, it's an interesting play right now, the like the handshake thing. And then also just in general, not committing completely to Will Levis. I think there would be more cause for concern um, if he were to not give him like his full backing support going into at least next week. I mean, we're not asking him to say that this guy's the franchise guy or that he's going to be like, the starter completely for the whole rest of the year, even though in my opinion, I think it looks like he probably should be. Um, It's just about, give me, give me one week. Give me, give me like, we're on a long week. So give me 10 days and say that he's going to get the full reps and all of, and all of that in practice. And you're going to have your team behind him, you know?
0: Certainly, certainly. Uh, But moving on one, one game I want to talk about from, uh, from week eight is the Cincinnati Bengals going into San Francisco and taking on the 49ers. Good for Cincinnati going in there and winning 31 to 17. Joe Burrow looks like he's back 28 of 32, almost 300 yards, three touchdowns. Joe Mixon had a rushing touchdown as well. Uh, Jamar Chase, 10 catches, 100 yards, uh, one touchdown. Really good to see out of him because he's always effing open. But I think this says more to San Francisco. Uh, Brock Purdy does not look good recently without Debo Samuel. I don't know, man. Is 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 Brock Purdy a fraud? Did we did did the NFL world give him too much credit, or is it literally just due to the fact that he doesn't have all his weapons around him and he can't be at the max potential that he that he has?
1: Okay, so Brock Purdy's in an interesting situation. I feel like if he plays poorly. Um, people are going to play the world's smallest violin for this man and say that he needs to get it up because this 49ers team is stacked. Obviously, they have McCaffrey, they still have Kittle and Iuke. You're thinking, oh, they should have enough despite Debo Samuel being out. I mean, Debo Samuel, like we had talked about when he first got injured, um, I said, you know, after this injury, if he has another one, I mean, at a certain point, it's he's injury prone, you know, you don't want him anymore. So he's been in and out of the lineup. So I feel like he's had to deal with it a little bit already. But like I said, world's smallest violin when he's not playing. But then when he's playing uh, well, uh, I feel like people don't give him the credit that he deserves. So he's almost in a borderline lose-lose situation, even though they did a lot of winning. Look, I'll say this. Usually a quarterback, after they've played this for this amount of time and they played a little bit of playoff football, would have been figured out by now or something would have happened to the point where he's struggling. But hey, this is his first real slump. 49ers haven't played terrible teams over the last three weeks i mean the browns somehow were able to get him i I mean i don't know but the browns don't look like a garbage team um and they obviously played the vikings who at a certain point you know they they wanted to win and, and they want to win they're in a win now scenario after their terrible start that's why they made their move for josh Dobbs. they don't suck i mean maybe i'm rationalizing but those teams aren't garbage and then obviously the Bengals are a completely different team than they were in week one so it's like at a point, you're going to slump eventually as a player, and you're going to play good teams. So I'm not ready to write him off just yet. Although I obviously am concerned. You start five and zero, and then you go zero and three, and you got the Jags coming up. I mean, you're in a you're not in a perfect situation. You're not where you want to be. But as far as like writing him off or saying that he's a fraud, I can't do that just yet.
0: That was very, very well said, and I don't think I can say it any better myself. So, I'm gonna move on to the next game that was uh pretty shocking, in my opinion. Uh, Taylor Swift and, and the Chiefs went into uh Denver and took on the Broncos. Taylor Swift actually was not in attendance, you can see simply just from Travis Kelsey's numbers. He was had six catches for 58 yards, no touchdowns. That's just a clear sign that Taylor was not there because Travis would not do that for his woman. Uh, but Patrick Mahomes. I don't know what was going on with him in this game. I know he was sick. I did hear that. He was feeling very under the weather. But I don't care. You're Patrick Mahomes. You're the best quarterback in the NFL. You should be able to overcome that. And he wasn't able to in the Mile High City. 24-38, uh, 240 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. And they also had no run game going. Had 62 total yards as an offense uh, on the ground. And on the other side, man, Denver, they put on a really good show for uh, for their home team, or for their home crowd, I should I say. Russell Wilson, only 12 of 19 with 114 yards, but in those 12 passes that he completed, three of them were touchdowns. And on the ground, Javante Williams was fantastic, 27 carries, 85 yards. As a team, they had 153 on 40 total carries. I mean, what does it say about the Chiefs? Is this just a bad game, or – are they kind of on, on a on a downward spiral? Because they haven't looked that good against bad teams.
1: Okay. So last time we talked, you know, it seems like forever ago. It's so much has happened, but I said, I think that we need to give respect to the chiefs, man. I said that I think they're the number one team in the NFL and like, you know, don't, don't look past the reigning champions. This was probably worst case scenario. I think against the Broncos, Um. So as far as what I think, you know, you, know, you, you beat a team for like what they were, they had beaten them over the last 18 games, 17 times or something ridiculous. It was a crazy number. You beat them so many times you're due. And I think that's kind of what I was talking about also with the 49ers you're due. You're not going to be perfect. So I'm just willing to chalk it up to just divisional game. You know, sickness, sickness is a real thing. I, you know, I, I just went through it. So I'm going to give maybe Patrick Holmes a, a pass. I think, you know, Travis, the whole uh, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey thing has been maybe perhaps a bit of a distraction, maybe a little bit. I know that Travis Kelsey went to a World Series game, I believe. Right. As well. That was on the news. I don't I I personally don't, you know, look, I don't like blame a player for doing anything like that but you know i know i know some people were you you got to fly out to the game and then come back so i mean i could see why people might say something like that but i think just overall like this game is the is maybe more on the chiefs for just not winning it simply because sure the broncos had a good run game but russell wilson had like what 87 yards passing so it, yeah. it is what it is <laughs> you know like i don't think he had over 100 yards passing in any of the and uh, the previous game either that they played on Thursday Night Football uh, a few weeks prior. So,
0: yeah, who knows? Maybe the Chiefs were kind of overlooking the Broncos. So, you know, they would kind of go in there and be able to do their thing without a ton of prep. Maybe they were already had their minds set on Germany this week, where they go and they play the Dolphins, which is probably a game of the week uh, this week, and it's going to be at nine thirty a.m. for us on on Sunday. That's going to be a huge game, but yeah. I don't know. I don't. I'm not going to put too much stock into it. Uh, I'm going to chop it up as just one bad game. You're due for one of those, one or two of those a season. Uh, it's hard to go undefeated in the NFL. So them sitting at six and two, it, it is what it is. This week is what they're looking at for sure. Uh, but moving on to the final game, I think we'll talk about here. Is the Raiders and the Lions. And it's not so much about the game itself, it's just about the situation as a whole. As for the Lions, they're looking really, really good this year. They're six and two. Jared Goth has got his team going really good. Uh, finally, Jameer Gibbs, he is finally popping off these last two weeks. Uh, but as of last week, he had 26 carries, 152 yards, one touchdown on the ground. And as in the receiving side of things, he had five catches, 37 yards. I think uh, Jameer Gibbs fantasy owners, and Detroit Lions fans as well are really, really excited to see what he's been able to do so far with David Montgomery on, on the shelf. And uh, it just shows that he's going to be, he was worth the pickup. He was worth moving up in the draft and, and picking him and everything. So that, things on their side, is looking really, really good. But that's for the Las Vegas Raiders, man, it is just not looking good. How in the world do you go an entire game and throw the ball to Devontae Adams, albeit seven times, seven targets, but he has one catch for 11 yards. Jimmy Garoppolo, what the hell are you doing? What is going on in Vegas right now?
1: So, yeah, it's clear that the Jimmy G experiment is not working, and I definitely think the owner owner knew that because he fired the head coach, the OC, and the general manager, (laughs) I think, all right after the trade deadline, right? Like it was Tuesday night. I mean, to clean house like that is absurd. I I don't know if I've really ever seen something like that before. I mean, he obviously – obviously, Devontae Adams is a great player, but I bet if the owner had to redo it over again, they would have – and it was reported that they had two first rounds on the table for for Adams. Like, I'm sure he would have done that, made that deal, tried to get off of Jimmy G and just said, hey, we're going to bench you. And they did end up – he's benched now. They'll start O'Connell. And then just – just get rid of the Josh, you know, McDaniel's experiment, like, and just get off of like some of these players that, or some, excuse me, some of these players, some of these um head coaches and uh, player personnel that have like plagued this franchise for the last handful of years. I think the Raiders are probably in maybe one of the worst positions I've seen in franchise right now. They're just completely starting from scratch midseason, exactly, pretty much midseason. So that's a disaster, but shout out to the Lions for bouncing back after a really really terrible loss against the Ravens. Um they look good. That's a team that I think has the fortitude to win playoff games. I'm I'm more so back on the bandwagon, I couldn't fall off completely, but I think um I think you got to respect the moxie that it takes to when you waltz in and get murdered by the Ravens and you know you have an extra day and you're going to say we're going to take advantage of this raiders team and we're going to and we're not going to look past them and we're not going to play down on the competition
0: yeah lots of lots of good stuff happened in the nfl we'll be should be back on on sunday for our preview of the of week 9 slate but uh moving on we'll talk about the college football rankings the college football rankings uh committee came out with their first official rankings Uh, A couple of days ago, I believe on Tuesday, Uh, they got Ohio State sitting at number one, Uh, Georgia, number two, Michigan, number three, and Florida State at number four, with undefeated Washington and Oregon at seven and one, sitting at five and six on the outside looking in. Uh, First looks at that, you're a big college football guy. Uh, What are your thoughts on this official first rankings?
1: Yeah, so I was actually pleasantly surprised at certain things, and then obviously a few things. I, I, I one thing maybe more specifically, so like had my, had me scratching my head. Um, but we'll start with the good stuff. I would say Ohio State being ranked number one, it did surprise a fair amount of people. But with Penn State and Notre Dame wins under their belt, I felt like that's the team with a resume this year that is better than anybody so far. Now things heat up after week. Um, after week eight, like things things get crazy. You have teams playing, you know, like multiple ranked teams in a row, so things are subject to change. The very first rankings usually aren't where we end up. Obviously, um, as far as Georgia being number two, I respect that. I do think that they should have been above Michigan. I think maybe I'm blinded um, and I shouldn't take previous seasons into account, but I definitely think that there's a respect thing that needs to be due for a two time. National champion. For a defending champion, you know, I'll say like I've seen that before, obviously, but there's not very many two-time. That's really where the, the line is drawn uh in college football. So I respect that. Now, as far as four and five, I would switch Washington and Florida State. I think Washington had a big win over Oregon, and I don't really like Florida State's complete resume. I think the LSU win is good, not as good, in my opinion, as Oregon um, or as a win over Oregon. And I think that shows, I mean, Oregon is right behind Washington. So it's like, if that's a huge win, so why wouldn't they be above Florida state? That was a concern, but I think that'll figure it out. That wasn't the biggest thing. It was the head to head respect. It was uh, Texas being above Oklahoma. So you had Texas, uh, Alabama, Oklahoma, to me, that didn't make much sense at all. I think you have to respect head to head despite Oklahoma's loss to Kansas this past week, I think just simply put right now, um, Oklahoma looked better for the most part during the season. And then they beat Texas. I think you have to respect that. And then at least if Texas beat Alabama, I don't like the transitive property. I think at least Oklahoma should be right behind Texas. I think they really got snubbed there and they lost to a Kansas team that's ranked. So it wasn't a terrible loss. As far as the rest of the rankings go, I think for the most part, it was good. They respected head-to-head throughout the entire thing. They had Louisville above Notre Dame. They did have Kansas above Oklahoma State, which didn't respect head-to-head. was confusing, but sometimes you'll get into weird spots like that when teams have multiple losses, and uh, they were further down in the rankings. So at the end of the day, that doesn't matter. Overall, I was happy with the rankings. I thought that they made the right decisions as far as like the top three was concerned, but the head-to-head not honoring that was obviously, it was obviously a head-scratcher.
0: Mm. I, that was, again, really well said. Uh, as someone who was kind of still trying to grasp, there's so much that goes on in college football. There's so many different teams. There's so much to watch for. So for me, it's it's a little, I'm still getting used to that. But the way you described it was fantastic. The Florida State-Washington thing, I didn't even think about that, honestly. Uh, When I'm looking at Florida State, obviously they got that win against LSU at the very start of the season. Uh, Things change as the year goes on. But you're right. Having that win over LSU compared to the win over Oregon for Washington, that's, that's a big difference. And I do agree with you. I think that Washington's win over Oregon is more impressive than that uh of Florida States over LSU. But maybe taking into consideration the Duke win, uh that might have a have a factor in the fact that uh Florida State is ranked above Washington. Beating Clemson in a tough environment, that was a very, very tough game. I'm not gonna say that Florida State has looked uh perfect by all means, but they've looked extremely impressive the last couple of weeks, beating Syracuse 41 to three. Wake Forest, who they've had an issue with the last couple of seasons, uh, beating them in Wake 41-16. Uh, to 16. Um, So as a Florida State fan, of course, I'm a little bit more uh, – I'm happy about that. But then looking at Washington, I, I've i heard so much about them all season. I have not had the chance to really dive in and, and watch their team play. I know they're led by uh, Heisman, hopeful, uh, Penix, but Boise State win, Tulsa win. Michigan State win, those are all mediocre to okay wins. Uh, Cal, that's a pretty good win. Arizona, I think that's also a good one as uh, as well. And then there's the Oregon one, 36-33. Close game, good game. I think this week, I know that USC really, really thinks that they have a chance at going into uh, or hosting Washington at USC and winning that game. What do you think? What are your thoughts on this game? Because I think this is a big one
1: this week. Washington USC. I think, I think it is a big, a big game. Obviously, and you know Washington's been slumping, so it's you, you know, you're you're concerned. I, I do think that they match up well against USC right now. I think that they be put up. They can put up a ton of points on the uh, Trojans defense. I mean, I, I think we were all looking to see if the PAC 12 is going to beat up on each other. And the time has come right now to see that uh, as far as like Caleb Williams is concerned, though, you, you know, his expectations are so high it from week to week. You know, you're thinking the reigning Heisman winner. I mean, for the most part, he had like the second one, like almost in the bag it felt like, cause just nobody was able to step up and take it. Um, so he had these super high expectations and just wasn't able to continue that streak. Now I, I'll still I'll still take Washington here. I I really have have like over the past you know four or five weeks, despite them slumping, have respected them with that Oregon win. I I realized that this team's ceiling is a lot higher than I thought it was going to be. Now you can't look past USC. You you can't because you got you have to be super careful. This team is really talented, and they were the team many probably looked at to be the um, the representative from the Pac-12 at the start of the season, you know, I mean, obviously Oregon and Washington, were both ranked pretty high as well, but, um, but for the most part, I I would still say that Washington should win this game.
0: I, I can't put my opinion on it. I haven't watched enough to be able to give a logical thought on it. I just know that as a sports fan, I'm looking forward to it a lot. I've heard so much about Caleb Williams and, uh, I'm excited to watch this game for sure. What time is that one at? That is at 7 3 on ABC. on ABC primetime game for, for the two of them. But looking at the schedule, there's actually a lot of like ranked versus ranked matchups this week. Um with Kansas State and Texas. Kansas State has risen a bunch uh this season. Their stock has been, been uh rising. Mizzou and and Georgia, that's gonna be a really good game. I I bet at the beginning of the year. Was Missouri ranked to start the season? I, I need to go back and look. No, no they, they weren't were not. even ranked. Yeah, they they've just impressed all season, and their one loss has come to LSU, which they they've been ranked all year. So that's nothing to scoff at. Sitting at twelve, I mean, Georgia. This is not a team to overlook. They can go into Athens and 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 beat them, and that would just mess up everything. I think, and that would just For me, I love chaos. I love chaos in the football playoffs. I think that is the best thing. So if Mizzou is able to go in there, does Missouri end up being like in the top four with that win or they get themselves into like five, six, seven territory if they were to win that?
1: That would be a monstrous win. Now they're 15 and a half point underdogs. So I think everybody knows that realistically, this would be a tall order. But yeah, I mean, if they were to win this game, I, I would put them above. I'd probably put them. Oh my goodness! I mean, yeah, that's sure. They have one loss, so you got to respect that. I mean, I probably would put them. Obviously, I'd have Washington above Florida State, but in my rankings, I, I could see them going up. At, yeah, like anywhere from like two to five. <laughs> I, I wow. would. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, that's a huge win. I mean obviously there are other teams that are going to get a nice win this week too and you know including Washington over USC if they were to win and you know perhaps Alabama over LSU, Texas over Kansas State, there would be plenty of plenty of good wins on the resume this this week. I mean even Oklahoma over Oklahoma State would be a ranked win for them. So I, I maybe maybe I'm getting a little bit too far ahead of myself, but I think I'd be so shocked and everybody would be so surprised there would be uh almost an overcorrection i think for missouri i could see them i could see them anywhere anywhere as high as as high as like 2 or 3
0: that would be crazy that's that would be a weird team to see there in in, in the top 5 area cuz you never really see a team like that and the one more game that's just kind of like a a classic i feel like uh lsu and bama this game is this week. Uh, Bama is ranked at what eight, eight, and LSU was at fourteen. I think uh, LSU is going into Alabama to take them on. Uh, obviously, I don't think this game has too many implications for either of them to make the playoffs. I think both of their hopes for that is uh over. But I mean, let's say, let's just say LSU goes into Bama and and takes out Bama. What what is that gonna say about Nick Saban about, and this whole team? Uh if they were to lose this?
1: Well, I definitely think it, it it's maybe an indictment on how the season has gone. Look, Alabama's had some close games, but for the but for the most part, like they still have wins on their resume. You know, um, I this is a very beatable team, especially if you're LSU and you're looking at it from a perspective of trying to win your division and make it to the SEC uh championship game. Um I don't think a two-loss – well, maybe a two-loss SEC champ could get in. Um, but I don't really see it happening this year, especially with – it would probably need to be LSU to do that or or whatever. I mean, you still have Ole Miss in that division as well. I mean, Alabama's only got one loss, so technically, sure, if they run the table, like, they could get into the playoff. But I think for the most part, this game is definitely not as high stakes as it usually is. Um, now, for next statement, I think – you're going to have these years. Maybe maybe he's due as well. I mean, with Jalen Milrow, it was slow to figure it out. And you had Texas in the out-of-conference schedule. That was a really tough game, especially for in the second week of the season. You did not have much figured out or much that you thought you had figured out. I mean, after the middle Tennessee game. I mean, what are you going to know after that game? Um, but for the most part, they took, they've taken care of business. They've beaten Ole Miss. They beat Tennessee. I mean, you got to respect it. I mean, if they have two losses at the end of this year and maybe make the SEC championship game, that's not a bad year. That's not a bad year. So I'll say for Nick Saban, he's safe. He's safe, I think, for the rest of his time.
0: Yeah, I I think what Nick Saban has done in his career at Bama, there's no way that they kind of, like, end up poo-pooing him and and kicking him out. He has too much winning under his belt. And talking about winning, I mean – Dabo Sweeney right now in Clemson is really struggling with his fan base. He, they're so used to winning, and they're just not this year. But he's trying to let them know, like, hey, take winning. You can't take it for granted. Like, you got to enjoy it while it lasts, because not every year it's going to go the way you expect it. And I guess that's kind of what's going on in uh, Tuscaloosa for for Alabama on the Crimson Tide. But that's enough for uh, college football. We did have the MLB playoffs that just wrapped up. The Texas Rangers, for the first time in their franchise history, were able to win a World Series over the Arizona Diamondbacks. Corey Seager, he is a playoff monster in his career. I don't remember the exact number. I think it's like 19, 20-ish. He's hit that many home runs in his postseason career. I don't know how many games exactly it is. But that is absolutely absurd. I think he's, like, tied for sixth all time. And this dude is how old? He's 29 years old. And he's playing on a Rangers team that is going to go to the playoffs plenty more times in his career. He just signed a 10-year contract, like, two years ago. So he's only two years into that. But he just won the MVP for the World Series. Looking at his numbers for the entire postseason this year. or no, Just the World Series numbers. Five games, 21 at-bats, six hits, with those, with three of those being monster home runs, the one in game one, where he tied the game in the ninth inning off of Paul Seawald. That one was huge. And then he had, I think, another one in game three, and then he had another one in game four. Uh, the last game that they played, though, uh, this five-nothing win to clinch it, Zach Gallen, man, he was pitching... Phenomenal. He had a no-hitter going into the seventh inning. And that's impressive against this Texas Rangers team for sure. Uh but Zach Allen, this entire postseason, he hasn't been where we all would expect him to be as uh as a frontline starter in the M in, in the majors. But uh yeah, he, he pitched great in this game. Six and a third, three three hits, just one run, all those three hits and one run coming uh to start the seventh inning. Six K's, he pitched great. Uh, but the Diamondbacks' offense just couldn't muster anything. They ended up uh, leaving a ton of runners on base, ton of opportunities uh, throughout the first half of the game, and they weren't able to over able to overcome that. Marcus Simeon with a, I believe, a two run homer in the top of the ninth inning uh, to kind of seal the seal the series for the Rangers. Ah, man, I'm really excited now for this offseason Shohei Otani, he's going to be the main talking point for everybody. Uh-oh, I see you shaking your head. I think – I guess you might have a little bit of an opinion on that. Well, um, no, I just
1: mean – this is going to be exciting. I mean, biggest wow. free agent and what? Should I say Ever.
0: baseball history? I mean, with the type of player that he is, it's – you can obviously argue that. I mean, when Alex Rodriguez was a free agent uh, all those years ago when we were literally like infants basically, like that was a big deal. um. There's always big players that are free agents and stuff. I mean, last last offseason, Danby Swanson was a huge free agent. Um, but to the caliber that Shohei Otani is being both a pitcher and a hitter, and being an MVP level hitter and a side-on level pitcher, this is just unheard of. So obviously we do know that he had the injury to his I believe it was his elbow. So he's not gonna be pitching next year, but he's still gonna hit. So you're still paying for a MVP level bat. So this is it's gonna be an insane pursuit, and I just i, I I'm excited for it to get underway right now. I think it's just kind of the first days uh, where players of teams are allowed to resign with their original team or they can opt out of their contracts, for example, just because I have to talk about it. Jorge Soler for the Marlins. He just opted out of his uh, three-year contract, and he's going to try and capitalize on his all-star season. More res- mad respect to him. Uh, obviously going to miss him. Hopefully, we'll see. Maybe he comes back. But uh, a lot of teams are going to be thinking about these things. And uh, But once Shohei Otani, he's going to be the first one to fall um, because everyone's going to be looking at him. I don't care if you're a big market, small market. You're going to look at him. You're going to see, like, what – are we able to get him? But he's going to go to a big market team. My guess, if I had to make a prediction, I think he's going to stay out on the West Coast, and I hate to say it, but I think he's going to end up going to the Dodgers, man. I don't want him to. That would be just making them the most ridiculous team, I think, in the history of the MLB. Um, if I don't even want to – I can't even fathom – how many wins that team would get, but I think he's going to stay on the West Coast. He's going to get that money from LA and uh, he's going to stay out there. I don't know if you have an opinion on where he might go. Just pick a random team. Giants? Giants? That would be fun. That would be fun for sure. Uh, Yeah, that's that's a good one. We'll definitely keep our eyes out on that one. Uh, But moving on as we wrap up here, NBA did just kind of get going Uh, last night. Victor Webanyama. Did I even pronounce that right? I don't know. Um, You got he, this,
1: Mason. Have more confidence. Yes, that is how you pronounce his name.
0: Nice. Let's nice. go. When we dropped 38 points, uh, a career high for him, obviously, in only just five games. But they were able to beat the Suns. I, I want to talk about this. The Suns, they've been very interesting so far to start the season. Uh, they're sitting at 2-3, and three, losing the Spurs, who are actually 3-2 and two right now. Uh, that's very surprising, both of those to me. Let me pull up the Suns real quick, because I think they've lost. Did they lose their opening game this year? I cannot remember. Who did they play? Um, no, they won. They beat the Warriors, but then they lost to the Lakers. Oh, and then they end up – oh, I thought they lost to uh, the Magic. But, no, it was – they've lost back-to-back games to the Spurs. That game uh, a couple days ago, that one fifteen one fourteen loss, I remember seeing that one everywhere, and that was that was crazy because they had the win essentially, but then Wemby just kind of took over there at the end and took that uh, missed missed shot over Kevin Durant, and then just went and then dunked it, and then they stole the ball, and then he went and scored again, and they took the lead. I mean, what even if it's not the Suns and and, and the Spurs. What is the biggest takeaway that you've had so far in the very, very, very early comings of the NBA season?
1: Well, it may be more of a personal thing for me. But, man, Chris Paul on the Warriors looks to be – man – Of course it works, kind of. Of course it it, kind of fits. Like, he's going to make it work. Like, Chris Paul's a savvy veteran, and this Warriors team wants to make it work. This Jordan Poole trade, I was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe they gave up Jordan Poole. I was riding for Jordan Poole, being a Warrior until the very end. But it looks like after everything that happened with Draymond Green, just his play style, you know, like, and the inability because of the play style to vault him into, like, the – a bigger role on that squad. Just it looks like it was really over and what they did making the trade and sending him to the Wizards was probably the best thing um for the Warriors and I think for Jordan Poole he's going to have to really look at himself in the mirror and say like what kind of player am I going to be in the NBA? You know, because he's obviously becoming almost slightly a meme now at this point, very early on in the year where he's got like these crazy shots that he's taking, all this other stuff. I mean, you got to be careful because it's tough uh, to become James Harden on the Rockets when he moved to OKC. And for my next biggest takeaway, I'm going to say that the James Harden trade is wild going to the Clippers. I don't know what this makes the Clippers, but look, I'm not buying any stock in that team over in Los Angeles. like. Uh, you know, Jerry West said it best on uh, the on Paul George's podcast over the summer. This team is just never healthy, and that's just so devastating. But when they are, man, oh, my goodness, sure, they could play with the best of them. I'm not buying any stock just yet, but, man, this team would have been crazy in 2015. This this <laughs> team in 2015 would have killed anybody in their path. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden, that's a super team. But. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean James Harden said I believe he, it was either yesterday or the other day where he was like, Oh, I'm not a I'm not a system player. I am the system.
0: I am the system. So he was, said he was he was,
1: apparently he had shackles on him in Philadelphia. I don't know if I buy that necessarily, especially with you know weight going up and down based off of how happy you are. I don't know how much I'm I'm gonna buy into that stock either, but I'm interested in it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I think it'll be fun to watch but I think the teams in the West are already solidified. I think that's still the Suns and the nuggets warriors look better than I thought they would. Lakers obviously still there. That just, they'll just need more players to help LeBron James at a certain point. And Anthony Davis will need to show up. But I think for the most part, those, those teams, the real contenders have already been solidified, but shout out to the Kings. Yeah, for
0: sure. And then I guess I'll talk a little bit on the Eastern conference side. Uh, Obviously the, obviously way too much kind of annoys me, but, uh, Miami heat, they have not looked good so far this season. They've just kind of been all over the place, uh, losing games. They should be winning. They're sitting at one and four. Percentage wise they are the worst team in the NBA. Oh, no, they're not. The Grizzlies are 0 and five, but other than that, they're the worst team in the NBA. And then the Boston Celtics on the complete other side of it, they're sitting at a perfect four. Now they've looked really good to start the season. Um, I, I, I haven't been able to pay too much attention to the NBA yet, but uh, I'm more of a end of the season type of watcher for the NBA. It's hard for me to get into it early on in the year, but um, yeah. yeah. Is, isn't
1: this the toughest part of the season to watch? It's just we know that this these games don't really matter. We know that things change all the time. I mean. Like we're looking at some of these teams, and we're like, yeah, they they could be good. They should be good, right? They have they have guys, but everybody's got guys in the NBA now. The talent is so condensed uh, among the thirty teams that everybody's got a franchise guy for the most part. Um, one quick thing: shout out to the Orlando Magic, man. With Franz and uh, Apollo Banquero on the on the squad and like finally really gelling together, now Apollo in his second year, Franz in his third year. That's a really good team. That's a playoff team, or at least a play-in team. So shout-out to the hometown squad. I mean, you always mention the Miami Heat. I'm going to mention the Orlando Magic. But this has been a super condensed episode of the Streakers podcast. I'm Patrick Premdi. That's Mason Migliera We'll see you Sunday for all of the NFL games and the preview of this upcoming week. See you then.